Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Our text for the sermon this morning is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, work this word within our hearts. And that as we meditate on it and as we reflect upon it, that we would not be those who hear it and forget it, but we would be those who remember and do it. Lord, help us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So let's zoom back a little bit, zoom out the camera, and take a look at Second Peter. You remember two weeks ago, uh, I said that Second Peter has three main topics, and it's basically a topic per chapter. So each of the chapters focuses on one thing. The first chapter's topic is, as we have seen, hopefully if you remember anything from last week's sermon and the first week, is grow in holiness. It's an exhortation for God's people to grow in holiness. It's about sanctification. It's about growth in the Lord. The second, which we'll get to, uh, in a few weeks, is avoid heresy, right? Avoid heresy, avoid doctrinal error. And then the last one is be prepared for Christ's return. Uh, it's about the coming of the day of the Lord. So we're still in the first chapter, and the focus is still growing in holiness. And last week, we worked through verses 5 through 11, where the Scripture exhorts us to increase in holiness, not by, we are not to live just with a naked faith. We are to add to faith. Our faith is the, is the foundation upon which we add moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. We add faith. We add those things to faith. That passage concluded by saying that we are to pursue godliness because those who pursue godliness, it says, will never stumble. They will never stumble. They will never stumble fatally. They will never stumble the, the falling away, right? It is through that pursuit, it is through the pursuit of holiness, it is through the pursuit of, of sanctification that Christ will abundantly supply us an entrance into his kingdom. And that's glorious. That's a glorious thing. The message of the pursuit of holiness is hard to receive. It's hard for us to receive, isn't it? Why? Because we love our sins. We love our pleasures. We love our lusts. We love our anger. We love our self-pity. 
right? And we could all add a number of things to that list. But those who have the Holy Spirit, those who have a true knowledge of God and His glory, must delight in holiness. In fact, they will delight in holiness. Holiness will be the product of the Holy Spirit living within you. And so, we don't want to be like Mike, right? We want to be like God. That's our pursuit. That's our pursuit, is to be like God. Having become partakers of the divine nature, we are becoming like God's in His character. And we, we want that because we know that that's what God wants. And he has supplied his children with everything, he says, pertaining to life and godliness. That's what Peter says in the opening verses of this letter. So now the Holy Spirit this morning has for us one very simple exhortation in this passage that we just read. And it's this, we have a constant need to be reminded of the truths of Scripture and the commands of God in Scripture. We, we need to be constantly reminded. We need to be constantly reminded of the same things over and over and over and over and over again. In his book, The Reformed Pastor, Richard Baxter exhorts pastors to shepherd the flock, and he writes, life is short, and we are dull, and eternal things are necessary, and the souls that depend on our teaching are precious. Right? It's, and he's, you know, he's nailed me there. I'm dull. And it is, it is because of our dullness, or to make it clear, our, our laziness, our stupidity brought on by laziness, we so easily forget the most incredible truths, right? We so easily forget the things that, you know, weeks or months ago, um, you know, made goosebumps rise up on our flesh. But then two months, two weeks, two days, two hours later, we've sort of moved on to thinking about football again, right? And so we so easily forget the most incredible truths about God. We so easily forget the glory of the cross, right? We so easily forget the, the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says... We need reminders. We need reminders. And he says that three times in this passage about reminding them. Therefore, he writes, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Now think about this. He's just said that we must grow in holiness. And one would think that there would be things in Scripture that, would, that we would have down, pat, right? That we would not need to be reminded of, we, that we wouldn't need to return to because you've made it a certain and definite point in your growth. But there's never a time when some truth of Scripture is not profitable for you. There's never a time when the... the the simplest truths of Scripture are not immensely helpful to you. Um, even math professors would benefit from doing some rudimentary geometry every once in a while, right? Or some basic equations. Um, my son does karate. And Kiyoshi encourages the black belts to attend white belt classes. Um, <clears throat> Even, you know, because, 
or especially it's because um, they can then work on things that they've been taking for granted, right? They can work on stance, right? And a black belt can work on his stance his entire career in karate, right? He can try to make sure that that back leg is straight and that his arms are in the right position. And that's what white belts are being taught. And so these black belts are, are encouraged to go back and learn those fundamentals. And so... Honestly, the the basic truths of Scripture are deeper and broader than even the most complicated equations or the longest karate katas, right? The the Word of God is eternal and infallible. It is the mind of God. It is the will of God. It is deep and abiding, right? And so we are receiving the very mind and will of the everlasting, omnipotent God in Scripture— And so though there are basic truths, those basic truths are God's thoughts and therefore always worth our meditation. What what simple truth of Scripture is not profitable to return to? I mean, think, think of some basics. God created all things. I mean, it's incredibly important, isn't it, in worldview, in views of environmental stewardship, in God being other, right? In our, in, in our sense of our place in his creation in the universe. Well, what about this truth? All of sin. Simple truth. Simple truth that hopefully our parents taught us very early in our lives, right? All have sinned. Again, it's basic. It's a Sunday school truth, but deeply uh, profound in understanding culture, in understanding psychology, in understanding the battle between the flesh and the spirit that is going on within you if the spirit is in you, the desires of the unconverted heart, the necessity of regeneration, all ties to that basic truth. Men sin. Mankind sins. Here's another truth. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. There's no more profound truth in the history of mankind than that simple statement, Jesus rose from the dead. It it is the one uh, truth that should occupy our thoughts each and every day. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death. It's not something we can ever really move on from. It's not something that we would ever want to say, well, I've got that down, I think I'll move on. No, not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there are truths like this that are simple, but even with extraordinary growth, we need to be reminded. Things like, take your thoughts captive. Have no other gods before me. Um, God is eternal. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not lie. Um, add to your faith brotherly kindness. Right? Those sorts of truths, those convicting truths. We shall ever and every day need to be reminded of those truths. We need them uh, pounded into us day after day. Now you should want a shepherd that is reminding you of those kinds of things. You don't need a shepherd who is up here telling you about N.T. Wright's latest book. It's hoo-ha anyway. Right? 
You don't need a pastor who's up here reminding you of, of, um, of right and his new approach to Scripture. You, know, you don't need a pastor who wows you with his erudition. You just need a pastor who reminds you of the old truths of Scripture and pounds them and pounds them and pounds them and pounds them and pounds them. That's it. Notice that Peter says, you already know these things, right? These things that he's going to remind them of, you already know them. You need reminder of things you already know. You need reminder of those things. The Christian church is not to be like those, um, you know, the people of the Christian church are not to be like those uh, philosophers of, of Athens who Scripture says used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something New. No, we don't need new. We don't need new at all. There is, after all, nothing new under the sun. And it is only those who are delusional that think there's anything new to discuss. Right? Think about it this way. You often hear people talk about the progress of mankind. Progress of mankind. And the mechanism of that progress is usually what? It's usually education of some form or fashion. But the Christian faith teaches us that there is a good deposit. Bam! A good deposit. It's one thing. It's a singular thing. That singular deposit is truth in every age and on every day and through every minute in every culture. A good deposit in the Word of God. So to make progress, a man must have the Holy Spirit and avail himself not of new thoughts, but of old thoughts, the good deposit that's given to us in the Word of God. Now I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit because that's what, that's what Peter goes on to talk about in the rest of the chapter, the prophetic word made more sure and, and the inspiration of Scripture. But, but my point here is that we have a good deposit, we have truth deposited to us, we have the mind of God, and we should not be engaged or, or infatuated with what is new. We go back to what is old and what is of God. We don't, again, we, God's children should not be enamored or swayed by, by what is new. We needn't be thrown off by, by new ideas. We needn't be thrown off by evolutionary thought because God's written a book about origins. Right? He's written a book about how things came into being and how mankind came into being. So we don't need to be thrown off by evolutionary thought. We needn't be thrown off by the latest fad in our culture because, because we have access to timeless truths, right? And so we take these timeless, timeless truths and we, we analyze everything in our culture based upon uh, this Word of God. And we, we, we don't start from what is new. Notice that Peter says those Christians have been established in the truth which is present with you. You have the truth. It is present with you. You needn't keep now an open mind. You close your mind upon the truth. Right? That's what the Word of God and this good deposit is. You, you can close your mind now on it, having found the book that God has written. 
Again, admonition is the repeating of truths from the Scripture to your particular life circumstances. Pastors should be reminding you of what is written and by God's grace not going beyond what is written to tempt you with their own thoughts and ideas. Pastors just convey what's here. Peter says this again, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. We need stirring up, right? We need stirring up. We need it because security and complacency or ease lead to indulgence. Right, security and complacency and ease lead to indulgence. What I mean by indulgence is indulgence in the goods and ideas of the world. When we forget the truths of Scripture, when we, when we are not stirred up by admonition from God's Word, we begin to think too highly of all the worldling's treasures, which are no treasures at all. Think of Moses' admonition to Israel as as Moses stands on the verge of the promised land and has already been forbidden by God to enter it because of his rebellion, um, he reminds the people of Israel to not forget a very basic doctrine that there is a God and you must love and fear him. There's a God, fear him. That's what he wants to remind them as he's about to die and they're about to go on and have to do the, the gnarly work of conquering the land. He admonishes them, reminding, of, of them, reminding them of simple truths. And here's, here's that passage from Deuteronomy 8. Listen to this. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and my strength, the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about that if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. 
Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. So, I mean, think of this. Here's Moses, perhaps the greatest leader in the history of mankind, with the most difficult uh, work to do of any leader in the history of mankind, on the verge of, of death, just like Peter, which we'll get to in a moment, and he reminds the people of things like, remember, you didn't get wealthy because you worked hard. God gave you the strength to make that wealth. That's what he decides to remind them. You know, this is not these poetic, flowery, Victorian sort of on your deathbed, you know, vomiting forth of emotions. It's just admonition. It's just like, don't get cocky. You didn't make that wealth. God gave you the strength to make that wealth. And he tells them simply, you know what? You're going to go and you're, you're going you're to be eating those pomegranates and they're going to taste so good. And you know what? You're going to forget God. You're going to forget God. You're going to stuff your guts and you're just going to forget about God entirely. And indeed, that is what happens. That is what happens. Now that leads to what Peter says in the next verse. He says that he knows that he is about to die. He knows that, here's what he says, that the laying aside of his earthly dwelling is imminent. So also the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to him. You remember what Jesus said to him at the end of John's gospel. Jesus said to the apostles, Apostle Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And then there's this explanation of that statement, which is somewhat ambiguous what it means. It says, now this he said, now this Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And so when it says, stretch out his arms, it's talking about Peter being crucified. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be girded with clothes that are not his own. And he's going to, be, he's going to die. We don't know for sure, but there are testimonies by many early historians, though they, they're not contemporary with Peter, that he was crucified upside down. And the reason that he was crucified upside down is because he requested it. Because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Now, it, it's, it could be um, apocryphal. It could, it, that may not be the case. But with a man whose emotions ran as high as Peter's and whose intensity of, of remorse over his betrayal... Um, you can, you know, you can imagine Peter going this route. But here is the Apostle Peter knowing somehow that his death is imminent. He knows it. The Lord has told him. He's, he's, uh, he's aware of these things. And he does not waste his final words speaking about himself. He just doesn't waste his words that way. He admonishes others. I'd say that that is a good goal for us too. If God, 
in his grace allows you to have some presence of mind during the last days of your life, do not waste them by talking about yourself. Right? There are two things you should do, um, should God allow it. I think there are two things, should God allow you to be expressing yourself when you're near your death and death is imminent. That is to confess your sins, which in some sense is talking about yourself, but it's a, a very intentional talking about yourself. It's not reminiscing, it is confessing your sins so that your conscience may be clear to those you have sinned against especially and to admonish those who are listening to you. You're going to listen to somebody who's dying. You have authority while you're dying to say anything you would like and people will listen to you. And so don't waste that authority. Don't waste your words close to your death. The dying man has the freedom to say whatever his pride and his, his shyness, his reticence, his fear kept him from saying all the rest of the days of his life. Hopefully. Right? Look your children in the eye and tell them, serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not serve your flesh. Look your wife or husband in the eye and tell her to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the remainder of her life away from you. Look a friend in the eye and say, come to Christ before it's too late, before you're, you're in my position and you're breathing your last breaths. Come to faith. Believe in Jesus Christ. Before you stand before him and he's a dreadful judge rather than a father and a friend. Peter tells the, the men and women of these churches to do three things. Grow in holiness, fight heresy, be prepared. That's a wonderful message as he approaches his death and the laying aside of his earthly dwelling. Really, here's what I should say. You don't know the day of your death. It could be today that you are close to death either through accident or through illness. So today is the time to speak truthfully and with care for others. Today is the time. Today could be your deathbed, right? The, today could be the last words you have to say to somebody that's close to you. And, and so, in a sense, every word that we speak should be spoken as if it's our last. Uh, make the most of it. Have the conversations you need to have. Speak as a dying man to dying men. Right? Speak in that manner. We're so fixated on trivialities. You know, we're so fixated on, on filling the void of silence in our interpersonal interactions. That we just have stupid stuff coming out of our mouths all the time. I'm guilty. I mean, I am guilty. I abhor silence when I'm with other people. Oh, it's awkward. And so I'll, I'll, I'll be racing through my mind trying to think of something we can talk about. And it's like, so seldom is it ever the Lord and his word and truth and good things. The way that Peter talks about his death should also be mentioned. He says that his death, notice, is the laying aside of my dwelling. Um, earthly is added for clarity by the translators of the NASB. It's not there in the original, but um, the laying aside of my earthly dwelling. 
What a wonderfully gentle way of speaking of death, no? It's, in this sense, it is not something to fear. We're just changing our dwelling. We're just going from earthly dwelling to heavenly dwelling. It's changing dwelling places. It's, it's renting a new apartment. Um, it's definitely an upgrade, right? It's definitely a place with more square footage and better plumbing, I, I assume. Plumbing of gold, right? And, uh, but it will be the place where God is present, right? It will be the place where God is present. Calvin gives this explanation of this um, portion of Peter's letter. He says, he declares that death is departing from this world that we may remove elsewhere, even to the Lord. It ought not then to be dreadful to us, as though we were to perish when we die. He declares that it is the putting away of a tabernacle by which we are covered only for a short time. There is then no reason why we should regret to be removed from it. It's going from one tent to another. Praise God for that. If you fear God, fear death, dwell on those words. It is, a, it is a change in dwelling place that God is assuring by the power of his Holy Spirit and your union with Christ. Death is moving day, right? Death is moving day, except it's glorious because you don't have to box up all those books. Praise the Lord. Finally, verse 15, he says the same thing again about reminders. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. That's his goal in his final words, that he would give his people something to remember after he has gone to be with the Lord. Now think of the fruit that the Lord has brought forth by this desire he put into the heart of the Apostle Peter. It's not just those churches in the dispersion that have been the beneficiary of Peter's words. It's every single church, every single Christian since the time of Christ have been given his words and given his reminders. The Apostle Peter's deathbed admonition will continue to bear fruit until the consummation of the ages in the marriage supper of the Lamb and will be there feasting with the Apostle and much more importantly, the God who is love. And we'll discuss with Peter just what exactly Peter meant by those phrases in his first letter uh, and this and that. We'll, do- we'll talk about the scriptures that we studied our entire life. Moses wrote in Psalm 90 the following words, which we must remember all the days of our lives. This is the way to treat each day as the last, and treating each day as the last is the way to make the most of it. He wrote, teach us to number our days, right? Teach us to number our days that we may present a heart of wisdom to you. Our days are numbered and to know that is very useful. Children, your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. You may or may not get to go to college. You may or may not graduate from high school according to the Lord's will, right? And so we're to, te- t- you know, God teach us to number our days. When you wake up in the morning, thank God that he has given you another day and then spend it as if it were your last. Um, share Christ, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everybody, 
Tell your children you love them and don't just tell them you love them. Prove it by teaching them about Jesus and his kingdom. Right? The glory of it, is all, of it all is that you don't have to be creative. All you have to do is know scripture and speak it. All you have to do is, is crack open a book and, and read from it. It's all you have to do. You don't have to be creative. You simply, all you have to do, and this is our marching orders, all we have to do the rest of our lives is be reminded of these truths of God's word, these precious truths, and then speak of the hope that is in you by faith. That's it. That's your marching orders. That's the one thing you need to do. But we're thick, we're dull, we're forgetful. We have to constantly sit under the preaching of the word, which is humiliating because I'm just a sinful guy exhorting you. Right? We constantly have to be studying the Bible. We constantly have to come to triple B and eat large quantities of meat. Well, that, you know, that's one of, the, one of the pleasant things about it. We have to, you know, we have to come back. We have to listen to exhortations from Christians who have been Christians for half the time that we have. But they're exhorting us from the word, and so we should listen to them, right? We should hear them. And that, that is what we need to do. Constantly repeat, constantly repeat the truths of God. Constantly be forcing us to remember. This may, and I'll just close here. It may, this may be why um, I've been delinquent in my own life and probably delinquent in our church to push us to memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Because we're so dull, I mean... If somebody came up to me when, when I'm spaced out from tired or something and said, share, a, share, a, share one verse from the Bible from me from memory, I kind of have to stop and think. Just to come up with one verse, right? And it would be a random verse. It wouldn't even be an appropriate verse for that person. But if we memorize Scripture, man, those things are just... They're, they're in there and they're wanting to come out and you're meditating on them and fragments will, will come to you and you'll hear a portion of a verse read and you'll, you'll know the rest of the verse. And so we need to do that. That is a way for us to remind ourselves of these things. And talk to people who like to memorize Scripture. Ask them how they do it. Ask them what apps they use for that, right? There are apps for that. There's one called Verses. But... Memorize scripture um, because you need it. You need it. That's our medicine. That is our support. That is our, uh, our brace. That is our cast. That is everything we need medically, right? To make a metaphor of it.